Welkom by SL Gemeente Media. We are very privileged to have a guest preacher here tonight, Ben Davies. Now, I've always in South Africa, when I was in ministry there, there, there were some older men that I searched out and visited on a regular basis, and I asked advice from, from, from them. I, when they spoke into my life, I took that as from the Lord, and and that was a very important guideline in my life. One of the reasons was that I've always been a bit of a rebel in my heart. And so I didn't always do things the way people around me do it. And I didn't always want to do things the acceptable way. Because there's so many, many churches that run the same thing year in and year out. And you never hear about lives changing. And I was convinced God wants lives to be changed. So I always searched out, well, in, in my reading, I didn't only read. I mean, you get these clever theologians who sit in nice studies their whole life long and wrote, wrote wonderful books. I had to read some of those. But my real inspiration as far as Christian books is concerned is I was searching out people whose lives were used by God to change lives. And so also I, I always looked out for some older men who was known by this one thing, that their ministry was used of God to change the life, the lives of people. And so when I came to England, uh, all my contacts was left in South Africa, and that didn't help a lot. And so after a year or two, I said to Alma, two, three years, I said to Alma, I can't take it any longer now. Either we go back, or I must, I must get some older men who can really, used by God, knows God, and can speak into my life, and where I can just some, uh, sometimes bounce off uh, things that I think I should do, things that I fear, uh, sometimes the, the line between insanity and obedience to the Lord um, is not that, that, that very difficult to, to discern, and, and one needs somebody with wisdom to bounce these ideas off. And so I met Ben in a conference. And he, he's a Welshman. He'll tell you more about that. But when I heard that, I tried to find out about the Welsh revival. And, how, and, and I heard him telling me that when he was a child, many of the people there grew up in the wild. When, when he, was, he, he didn't experience it, of, of course, but he knew some of the older people uh, amongst whom he grew up that was there, that experienced that. And so I... I was asking him, prompting him, and he was just sharing and with great excitement. And after the conference, I, get, I got home and I told Alma, it might be the answer to my prayers, but we'll see. So at another conference, we met again, and we started talking. He said, well, you're, the guy, you're the guy that I would talk to. And, and then he apologized for talking so much. He said, no, that's not a problem. I want you to talk more. And after another conference, I think, we met up for a coffee, and Ben said, what's the Lord doing here? And uh, that's that time that I realized uh, this is most probably what God has been organizing. And since that time, every two or three months, Ben and I meet up for almost half a day and drink coffee and, and uh, 
And he's just a blessing to me. And I wanted to introduce you to him so that if I do something stupid or, or um, heretical, you know who's the influence. I'm, I'm not responsible. It's not, it's not me. He's speaking into my life. And, uh, and, um, and also to introduce him to you so that when I tell him, they, they, they drive me nuts, you'll know that, how, just how big my problem is. Ben, it's a privilege to have you here tonight. Thank I just want to pray for you. And, uh, Thank you. Thank you, Lord, for having been here, uh, for the privilege that we can have him here. Bless him and let him be a blessing to all of us. In Jesus' name we pray that. Amen. Gavi, thank you, sir. I'm allowed to take my jacket off, am I? I may be in trouble here, sir. I've, I'm hooked under the jacket. I thought I was hooked under my shirt. Hold on, don't pull my jacket off until this guy's done the job on me. Is it on my? This is how not to do it. <laughs> no, I know what suicide bombers feel like. <laughs> Thank you, Davia. I'm not desperately happy that you refer to me as an old man. <laughs> I'm only in my 70th year, and I feel quite young. <clears throat> Before I may say some outrageous things, let me say something about this booklet. Uh, I think Davi is seriously privileged for someone or some people to have produced this booklet. Now, please don't look at it now, and definitely don't read it when I'm preaching. But uh, this is a booklet that encourages you to pray for Darby. Uh, it gives you 14 days of guidance about praying. Now, you'll pray for more than 14 days. But all I can say is this. If you want the best out of this man, pray for him. If you can't stand him, pray for him. If you don't like how he looks, pray for him. If you love him, pray for him. If you think of his wife, pray for him and her. Right? Seriously. Because God answers prayer. And I tell you, with all the razzmatazz of churches these days, and I led a church, one church, for 43 years, and so it grew from a tiny little Baptist church of about a dozen people, through a souped-up Baptist to a charismatic Baptist to whatever. And then I introduced multimedia and all that. But actually, the root of it has got to be God do something for us. So take it, read it, obey it. I don't know totally what's in it, but I know it's about praying for this man. When you said about uh, meeting, it was up in Birmingham, wasn't it? It was not the... Right, right. I, his wife comes up to me this morning after the meeting. Hello, Ben. I said, uh, I don't think I've ever met you before. She said, you only had a meal with us about X number of months ago, so I'm that sort of guy. Um, I want to thank the musicians. I, I just, to me, it just touched my spirit as the musicians played and led us in worship. 
and I want to thank you for that. I want to thank those of you who set out the chairs because I still know the cost of preparing for a meeting. So those of you who come and who are never on the platform and you're never seen and people only grumble at you, thank you. I'll tell you what to do with grumblers, just totally ignore them. If you know, and don't change the expression on your face, if you know the result of the Welsh, don't, Scotland match, don't tell me. Because when it comes to rugby, terrible things happen to me. Number one, I hate South African rugby players. Now, I'm a Welshman. I'm not an Englishman. My chauffeur, Ben, he's an Englishman. Don't mix us up. Ben the Welshman, Ben the Englishman. Not Ben the young, Ben the elderly, English Welsh. I hate South African rugby commentators. I listened to them once when I was in Joburg, and I think they are of the most biased commentators I've ever heard in my life. And then I hate South African rugby supporters. I came to the conclusion that I'm a racist. I hate all South Africans. <laughs> go on, go to the appropriate office, ring them up tomorrow and say, Ben Davis said that, and I'll, I'll end up on television, which would be wonderful, and then I'll fight for my very existence. <laughs> and I'm far worse in private. Listen. Two months ago, today, it was December the 7th, I was preaching in a place called Klapida or Klapida in Lithuania. Preached in the morning, went out for lunch with a number of leaders. Leaders went off and I was left with my driver. Fortunately, I had a colleague from Bracknell with me. And we went to the guy's car and uh, I went to get in the wrong side because it was a left-hand drive and I realized my mistake. I walked around the front of the car and waited for him to open the door when I had a blackout. And the next minute, I'm thinking I'm dreaming, and I'm waking up, and I'm saying, who are you? And uh, I wake up, and I'm on the floor. I'm falling on my side. My head was up like the proverbial egg, and it was bleeding and, and all that. I was taken to this guy's home, and the wife said, you, you need to get him into hospital. And I said, I'm not going into hospital because I thought I'd never get out of the country. And anyway, I flew back on the Tuesday, and uh, I'm still warm and breathing. But it's... it's radically changed my life uh, I can't drive I've learned that women and men I'm talking about my wife drive differently I wouldn't like to say she's a worse driver than me but she's definitely different <laughs> and I'm on the motorway and my nerves are like a violin string and I'm saying darling you're still in third we can, this is, my car is a five gear car well, my wife just doesn't listen to me. And I'm thinking, God, just prove it to her. Anyway, my life has changed. There are far more worse people than me around. I mean, ill people. I, I've got a dear friend in a church in Reading, a woman who used to be in Bracknell, and she's seriously ill with cancer. But all I know, it changed me. And as I said this morning, I was, really, I was frightened coming this morning because it's the first time I've ministered since December the 7th. God is going to change you tonight. God is going to change you tonight. 
God's going to change your mind tonight and your spirits tonight. You are never, ever going to be the same again by the time you leave this building to go home tonight. Because God's in the business of changing lives. I don't know whether all of you are born again. If there's one person not born again, I want to say this to you, you must be born again. That's what the Bible says. And much else that's wonderful. Now, I'm going to preach a sermon. My style. You have your style. This man is his style and he has his funny language. He's very fortunate. I'm a Welshman. I can't even speak my language. It's a totally different language from the English. I can't speak it because the English Education Act denied me my mother tongue. You're very fortunate. That's a crack against the English. But I'm going to preach. Ever thought why we have preaching in a service or a meeting? Well, because we need to bump into Almighty God. Now, I want to remind you, because you surely know this, the Bible is the total revelation of God. The Bible is the total revelation of Jesus. The Bible is the total revelation of the Holy Spirit. The Bible is the total revelation of you and me, because it's a total revelation of human nature. If you want to understand life, if you want to relate to society, soak yourself in the Bible. This is what the Bible says, 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is God-breathed, profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. You need training in righteousness. Just don't disagree with me. You do, and so do I. We, we need training in righteousness. You know it. Colossians 3.16 says this, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Do you know, we need to read the Bible regularly. And we need to pray regularly. Because if you want to have any serious impact in society before you declare from the rooftops you need to hear the whisper of the Spirit in private. Jesus said that. What I whisper to you in secret declare from the rooftops. Now, I'm going to read to you a passage from the Bible. I understand that the reading is going to come up on the screen. And uh, it'll remain on the screen as I preach through the passage. I'm going to read it once, and then I'm going to go through it. It's Matthew chapter 9, and verses 1 to 8. Jesus stepped into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own town. Some men brought to him a paralytic lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. At this, 
some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, this fellow is blaspheming. They didn't have the guts to say it out loud. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, get up, take your mat, and go home. And the man got up and went home. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe. Oh, Lord, if only our nation was filled with awe. When the crowds saw this, they were filled with awe, and they praised God who had given such authority to men. Jesus stepped into a boat. Who is Jesus? Well, he's the Son of God and the Son of Man. When he was on earth, Jesus was totally man and totally God. It is one of the, well, it's the great mystery of godliness. The Apostle Paul ejaculates, great is the mystery of godliness. Now, he's totally human. So he steps in a boat and crosses over to his own town. He could have whizzed through the air. He could have flown. He could have walked just two inches above the water. He could have exercised his total godness. He was exercising his total madness. So exciting, isn't it? Come on. It is exciting, isn't it? I tell you this morning, I'm really disappointed. I really thought the South Africans, I, I, I only see them when they're, they're following rugby and they're so fanatical and totally over the top and, and they're just totally irrational. So I'm thinking, if they are like that over a rugby match, over Jesus, they will be unstoppable. They're sitting like this. I, I, wanted to, I, I didn't want to offend Dowie, but I thought, who's been teaching you for years? Listen, you know this isn't a church building, don't you? It's just a building. You are the church. Sir, your heart is open. I'm going to say this to you. God is going to speak deep secrets into your life. And as a result, you're going to influence scores and hundreds of people. Because God will fill the hungry. Enjoy that? You're meant to. What is your name, sir? How much? Gerard. Gerald? Anyway, there we are. Is he on the tape? <clears throat> oh, by the way, this morning I said, it's just amazing. Darby did not tell me I was addressing a youth group. Well, tonight you look like a kindergarten because you look even younger. It's just terrible. It's just indecent. I look at these kids came in late. I thought, good grief, who are they? <laughs> anyway... Anyway, I suppose I was like it at one time, except I was much more, you know. Jesus stepped in, crossed over, and came to his own town. And some men 
brought to him a paralytic. Listen, these men are brilliant because they did exactly what Jesus wants us to do, and that is to introduce people to Jesus. I'm not very good at it. If I'd have been very good at it, instead of passing over a church of 800 when I retired, if they all came together, I'd have passed over a church of 8,000. But I want to be good at it. And Jesus said, go out into all the world and make disciples of all nations. Folks, you can do it if you've got the guts to do it. These four men had the guts to bring a guy who couldn't walk, had the guts to bring him into the presence of Jesus. Mark says the place was so full, they opened the roof and dropped him down through the roof. That's embarrassing, isn't it? And a disaster for the householder. Anyway, lying on a mat, when Jesus saw their faith, just go through the reading, when Jesus saw their faith, he doesn't say, hey, well done. He moves and looks at the paralytic and says, take heart, son, your sins are forgiven you. I want to say this to you. Jesus is saying to you tonight, take heart. Jesus is the great encourager. God has many definitions and many names in the Bible. One of them is this. He's the God of all comfort. And you come and you come in, in the brilliance of many of you. There's one or two exceptions. You come in the brilliance of youth. You come with the, with the energy of youth. But, you know, behind the energetic look and the sense I've got it all together and I look pretty good, don't take it. I looked in the mirror this morning, I thought I looked good. You come with all that, but deep down, there are those of you who need the word from God tonight who is saying, take heart. Because you may be carrying disappointment. You may be carrying the memory of, of weak resignation to the very evils that you deplore. And you come, but you feel something is missing. Listen, take heart. It is, it is God's will for you to receive the encouragement. Take heart. Take heart, son. It's an intimacy. Son, do not take heart, stranger. If you're a child of God... You have an intimacy with God. And Jesus is saying, take heart, son. Take heart, daughter. And if you say, I don't have an intimacy with God, then I'm telling you that you can have an intimacy with God. You can believe in Jesus. You can say, I believe that Jesus is God. I believe that Jesus died for me. I believe that God raised Jesus from the dead. I so believe it, I'm going to change my mind about it. It's called repentance. I'm coming to him. You can know an intimacy with him. We live in a, in, in, in a society where the whole atmosphere would, would, would challenge, can you have an intimacy with God? The answer is, of course you can. So he looks at this stranger. He says, take heart, son. Your sins are forgiven you. The guy could have said, listen, fella, whoever you are, I don't want my sins forgiven. Just let me walk. Well, let me say this to you. It's more important for you to have your sins forgiven than you to be healed. But it is important to be healed. But if you can't be healed, meaning if you're not healed, it's one of the great mysteries. I've seen people healed, I've seen people not healed. I, I have a woman in our church. She uh, suddenly had a pain in her back, went to doctors, they didn't diagnose, I'm not criticizing them, but she probably lost nine months. Eventually she found she had rampant cancer of the pelvic region 
I, as soon as I heard it, every Sunday morning, I anointed her with oil and said, Janine, be healed in Jesus' name. She was not healed. And then one Sunday, she said to me, next Monday week, not tomorrow, next Monday week, I'm going to hospital to have my leg cut off as high as high could be. The Sunday came, I anointed with oil, I said to the, put the mics up loud, everybody can hear me. I say, you are not going to lose your leg in Jesus' name. So she goes into hospital on Monday and loses her leg. People immediately ring me. What do you feel about it? How do you feel? I said, how do I feel? I feel terribly sorry for her. I don't feel anything about myself. Listen, it didn't even knock me sideways. The mystery of healing. I've got to be honest with you. Some get healed, some don't. You know that's true, don't you? I've got no answer to it. Except that God is sovereign. Jesus said, son, your sins are forgiven. Listen, Jesus is in the business of forgiving sin. I know too much about human nature after 43 years in the ministry and living with myself for 70 years and living with my wife for 45 years and my children for 40 years downwards. I know too much about human nature. Listen, we are all sinners and even after we're born again and baptized in the Spirit and grown in grace and all that, we still sin. That's why the Bible says, if any man sin... He hasn't, and little children, I'm writing this to you that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate of the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And some of you have got sin, you're carrying sin tonight. Jesus is the great forgiver of sin. And some of you, yes, you're Christians, but you've been into nasty stuff in your mind, on your lips, in your actions. For all I know, some of you have just started affairs with people at work. Christians commit adultery. Christians go on to pornography. Christians get bitter and twisted and are unforgiven, and sin devastates them and makes them look grotesque. I'm telling you, Jesus will forgive sin. Reach out to him. Enjoy that? You're meant to enjoy it. Because you're a sinner. Doesn't matter how educated you are, how professional, how easy, how awkward, Jesus forgives sin. This really isn't what I'm wanting to tell you tonight, but I'm telling you it nevertheless. Your sins are forgiven. Let me ask you this question because it'll definitely come up in your mind. What's the What's the relationship between sin and sickness? Total. All sin, I don't mean that, all sickness is a result of sin. All sickness is the result of original sin. As in Adam, all die. He is the head of the human race. And sin produces sickness. But not only is all sin the result of us, all sickness the result of original sin, much more sickness than we're prepared to face and admit to ourselves is the result of personal sin. Let me give you some examples. You eat the wrong things, you'll be sick. You have sex with the wrong people and more than one person, nth degree, you'll be sick. You won't won't forgive people 
you'll become sick. If you carry bitterness and grudges and let memories dominate you so that you begin to reject people, you'll become sick. Much more of our sicknesses is related to our sins than we are prepared to face. You'd surely agree with that, wouldn't you? Sin and sickness. But Jesus can deal with both. Hmm, you say, but he still doesn't heal people. But you're saying he'll save people, yes. It's better to go to heaven sick than hell well. <laughs> Write that down so that you'll never remember it. I mean, never forget it. It's, it's, it's the knock I had on the head two months ago. <clears throat> Look at verse 4. You can't, what's the reading on the screen just now? No? Can we get it back on there? Verse 4. Knowing their thoughts... No, no. Verse 3. At this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, this fellow is blaspheming. Now listen, just quickly, because I want to get on to something better than this or major than this. It's amazing how religious people can be so carping and so critical and so intolerant because things don't fit their pattern of thinking. So, the teachers said to themselves, this fellow is blaspheming. Jesus said, forgive your sins. Listen, they never understood this because religious people don't have the rev revelation. I hope you're not religious. I hope you have an intimacy with God because when you become religious, your revelation just dies away. They, they, they never saw it to Jesus. He is God. Of course, only God can forgive sins. If Jesus was willing to talk to them, he'd say, you stupid lot, don't you realize I am God? But he's a bit more polite than that. And not only that, knowing their thoughts... Jesus could see right through them, and Jesus can see right through you. Your pastor may not see right through you. Any married people here? Because you look so young. Any married people? Hands up. Hey, you're not ashamed, are you? Yes, I'm married. Right, right. Well, see, your husband may not see right through you. No matter what women say, we can read our husbands. They cannot see right through us. My wife could see right through me. She'd never live with me. That is true. You think I'm joking. That's true. You men, you know what men are like, don't you? Say yes, sir. Yes, you men. But Jesus can see right through us. And he saw right through them. They never even said anything. Wink, wink. Think, think. His was CC, no, no. K-N-O-W. He can see right through you. So what's the point of mucking about? Just wonderful. It's wonderful when you think that Jesus who sees right through us deeply loves us. He says, I forgive you. So here we are. He asks the question, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? Well, what do you think? Which is easier? It's e I tell you, it's much easier for a pastor. I could say, be forgiven in Jesus' name. And I, I go around and brag. Hey, this girl came forward. She said, I believe. And Jesus forgive her. Much easier than to say the girl who is facing an amputation of the leg, be healed in Jesus' name. That's why I'd much rather preach and look for salvation than preach and look for healing. 
But for Jesus, it's dead simple. I mean, living simple. Right? Some of you need healing. Some of you need forgiveness. Listen, nothing is impossible to Jesus. It's impossible to you. And you've got situations in life that you think, Ben, it's impossible. I'm, I've just dragged myself here. Listen, it's not older people who drag themselves places. Young people and younger people and 20s and 30s, they can be full of life, but in their spirits, they're dragging themselves places. I say, listen, nothing is impossible. I'll come on to it in a minute. I want to say, nothing is impossible with God. So, he says, which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say, get up and walk. So, he says the paralytic, get up, take your mat, and go home. Modern parlance, push off. Or don't you say that? Slang. Get, but no, he didn't say push off. He said, listen, get up, take up your mat, and go home. Now listen, everybody, in my experience of life, lives on mats, lies on mats. I'm asking you now, what mats are you living on? Because you can live on a mat when God wants you to fly through the air. Let me make some suggestions to you. This man could have been living, I would say he was lying on the mat of helplessness. Listen, here he is. He wakes up in the morning, he says, who's going to dress me? Who's going to wash me? Who's going to feed me? Just totally helpless. You can imagine him. It's snowing. Who's going to take me out snowballing? Sledging. The sun's shining. Who's going to take me to the lake for a dip to go fishing? The guy's totally helpless. Where are you going? We're going shopping. I wish I could go. Where are you going? We're going off to see our parents. Well, my parents don't visit me as much as I, they need to. And some of you here tonight, you're listening, you've sung the hymns, you, it's glad to meet the people, but you, you know, it's not that you feel, you know you're lying on a mat of helplessness and you feel there's something about your life, it is utterly helpless. I can do nothing about it. God can make the weak strong. And then, this man, lying on a mat of self-pity. There's a lot of self-pity around. Let me tell you something about my upbringing. My mother, she's dead and gone now, died in 1965, just after I got married. She had 16 pregnancies. Girls go... Birth 13, buried 3, brought up 10. I was number 10. You know what happens in a big family? No money. Nobody to speak up for you in society. Bottom of the pile, therefore, economically, socially, relationally. Fighting to keep your head above water. You feel that you're watching everybody playing a big game. I used to feel that I was like a little boy in tiptoe looking through a window and inside the party was going on. I probably didn't express it like that, but that's what I felt. And it breeds, or it can, and it did for me, self-pity. You know, 
if you knew my life and my upbringing and if you knew my father and then God entered in but it was years I was still full of self-pity until a woman in our church who was powdering on in the spirit and one of the early Christians I met who had been baptized in the spirit she said there are things wrong with you I said write them down she wrote about 57 down I thought really and uh, I was too dishonest to say yes that's right that's right I don't see that that's right but I I read the list and I came to the word self-pity and I think that is absolutely right it can kill you off it can destroy you it can sort of hinder you it can maim you you it can it can it can stop you fulfilling the purpose God has got for you and some of you as you listen to me now you know you're lying on the mat of self-pity Listen, Jesus is saying to you, get up, roll it up onto your arm, and go home. Not go home miserable, but go home with a spring in your step. You know, there is something I can be more than positive about. And then, what about this one? The mat of little or no vision. Because I tell you, you don't know it now because some of you are too young. But as you get older... There are things that can just eat away your vision. Perhaps you say, I'm old enough for that to recognize it already. Oh, this guy's got no vision. I can understand that. He's lying on the floor. Perhaps somebody just dragged him outside his door so he, he can watch the traffic going by. He's got no major vision. He can't go anywhere. He's helpless. He's full of self-pity. There's, there's no vision. You look at people and you think their personality, their temperament, their upbringing, their educational standard. If I had all of that, and, and the job, and the car they drive, and the bloke she's married to, listen, all that glitters is not gold, by the way. You say, I haven't got much vision for life. And then, some of you, sitting, lying on the mat of passivity, resignation initiative listen fella if you knew my life you know you'd be passive as well you can sing and be passive you can prophesy in tongues and be passive you can read the bible and stay passive you can look at other, look at others and applaud them but be passive there's a girl in our church and um, whenever i see her one of her legs is out like that she's not levitating she just sits down you know the woman and the other day I was so when I saw her I just said to her I'm going to pray for your need to be healed because I'm thinking of the, oh, I'm not thinking the devil sent me you've got a rubbish track record about healing so I said to the devil push off in Jesus name I didn't tell this girl that and I'm praying over this girl's knee and then I said are you at work no well get somebody to get you to the midweek meeting because she's passive and weakness will make you passive and disappointment will make you passive and uh, failure and sin will make you passive and introspection will make you passive listen it's not God's will for you to be passive it's God's will for you to take the initiative well I'm you know, I'm not that sort of type, Ben. I don't care what type you are. Jesus can deal with any type. And what about 
the mat of disappointment. Some of you girls here, you want to get married? Well, have a bloke at least. Let's have a taste before you have the dinner. Right? And so you've been coming here, and then this your friend, who's not as attractive as you, and in comes this bloke and notices her, and takes her out. You think that's really disappointing, isn't it? I'm laughing about it, but it goes deep. Doesn't it? Don't say it. Oh, you're disappointed because life just hasn't turned out for you that you hoped it would, even at your young age. Some of you are a bit older. I tell you, it gets us when you're getting older and older. You'll be really disappointed. I hoped, I thought, when I moved over to England, I thought, just don't think. Right? I supposed. Disappointed with exam results on disappointed with education or lack of education just disappointed with the neighborhood you're living in or disappointed with your neighbors disappointed with yourself disappointed with the church disappointed with the pastor disappointed with God I thought when I read the Bible and I prayed, this would happen to me, but it's not happened to me. And I've given my money, and the money hasn't come back. You reap what you sow, syndrome. Hasn't happened to me. You're disappointed. I'm not giving any more money to the church. You know, they said if I went on that course, I would be a leader. But they've never asked me. They've never trained me further than that tell you it can ruin your relationship with God mat of disappointment what else mat of unwillingness hey pick up your, your bed your mat put it under your arm and go home hey just look here Jesus you know I can't do that let's be rational for a moment I've never walked I don't know what it's like to walk you know you talk about faith look you know it is impossible yes yes I know what, who you are Jesus son of God son of man yes but and yes but yeah, yes yes I've seen you do it to others but look me some of you are like that yes it's alright for you I, I've, I have people in Bracknell when I was leading the church they'd say to me it's all right for you. You've got money. I used to think, if you only knew my upbringing until God moved in on me. But you say, deep down, it's an unwillingness to believe God. It's an unwillingness to believe that if I sacrifice time to pray, if I sacrifice giving my money, you know, God will. So I cannot do that because the bottom line is, and let's take money, the bottom line isn't I, I'm, I'm saving up to get married or, or when I'm, now I'm married I'm saving up to have children or now I've got children I'm saving up for, for, for education and now they're off hand so I'm saving up to refurbish my house. Don't do that because the grandchildren will come in and re- grandchildren will come in and wreck it. I know that because I've got 11, 11 grandchildren. And then time goes on you say, I, I, I can't really give my money so I'm saving up to... Don't worry, don't worry. That's not a knock at Darby. Just God hum- humbling me. Unwillingness. Unwillingness to believe God. Can you imagine this guy looking up and saying, listen, I've had many people, these prophetic types. You know these prophetic types come and prophesy over you? Do you have that in this church? People come and say big things over you. And it never happens. 
So in the end you think, I'm unwilling to take anything. And then the matter of lack of confidence. And you say, I'm just not a confident person. I tell you, I, I wasn't confident this morning after two months off preaching. I said to my uh, South African PA, I've got a South African PA. I don't know what I've done to deserve that, but she just, uh, she arrived. I didn't realize she was South African. I didn't recognize the accent until she arrived. And we had four South Africans in the office, and they're all speaking African. So I said, stop, you all get fired, speak English. <laughs> True. The, the husband of one woman came, how dare you do that? Well, I said, listen, this is an English-speaking office. Anyway, no matter. I, I, I said to her on Wednesday, I said, I'm going to ring Darby up and say, uh, I'm not coming. And she said, why? Well, I said, I, I don't feel confident. What if I have a blackout when I'm preaching? Seriously, I was really serious. And I said to my wife as I left home this morning, I said, uh, Mo, I said, uh, I just wish I didn't agree to fulfill this engagement. Just lack of confidence. Because I thought, do you understand what I'm talking about? I thought, what, what, if, I, what if I can't communicate anymore? And some of you lack confidence. It may be traced back to your upbringing. It may it trace back to something that somebody said to you. I had a great father. Do you know what he used to say to me? You know nothing. It built tremendous confidence. Tell her, it's, it was a serious problem. And some of you may have had that sort of thing, or some guy at work says, you will never have promotion, or whatever. And things that are said, and you don't have people to say it, the devil will whisper it. You're rubbish. You failed again yesterday. Just gives you lack of confidence in yourself, in others. And this man could say, Jesus, what do you mean? Don't you... You want me to get up and walk? I've never walked. Don't you realize I haven't got the confidence to do it? Some of you haven't got the confidence. All kinds of reasons. In case, when I speak, think, people think, I'm an idiot. You know what the word idiot means, don't you? Do you know what the word idiot means? This, uh, it means it's, a, it's a, 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 an English transliteration from a Greek word, idios, which the root meaning of which, and this is brilliant root meaning, someone who lives in his own world. So you can say to someone, you're an idiot. And when they get upset, they say, let me explain it. All I'm telling you is that you live in your own world. The bloke who called uh, uh, the prime minister a, a Scottish idiot, did he, that news item, and the guy should say, I'm not going to apologize. All I'm saying is, you're living in your own world. <laughs> Lack of confidence. And then, uncertainty of what God can do. I think the church is so uncertain of what God can do. Folks, God can do anything. He can do anything in your life. He can do anything in your neighbor's life. He can do anything in the lives of your parents. And then, the matter of anxiety in the face of religious opposition. Now listen, just walk with me. Here's this man. Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. And then, 
The next thing is, here's Jesus saying to these people, I know what you're thinking. You know, you, you don't think I can forgive this man. And now he hears Jesus saying, get up and walk. And, and this man knows what's going on in the religious atmosphere in his community. Somebody else had had his arm, a withered arm, healed on, on, on the Sabbath day. And everybody knew what was going on then. They're at him. You know, this is wrong to do on the Sabbath. Somebody else was, was carrying his mat on, on, on the Sabbath day. And these religious people are looking around the corner and said, What are you doing? Don't you know that's work carrying something on the Sabbath? You need to stay ill until tomorrow. He knows that. And that's why, you know, that's why you're quiet. Because somebody said to you, you don't shout and jump when you meet together. You're in church. It's a church building. It's a holy place. Listen, there's nothing holy except the gospel. And then somebody said, don't laugh like that. People used to say to me about preaching, you're always shouting when you preach. I think, well, you're always shouting at your wife. <laughs> and I've heard you shout at your kids at church picnics. But you want me to shout about Jesus in the congregation of the righteous. And there's anxiety. I'm serious. I put it humorously. But you will never fulfill your potential if you're anxious about what people think about you. What your mommy thinks about you. You know, you make the phone call. No, darling, talk to your mother. I'm not coming home for Christmas you know I'll be so disappointed if you come home for Christmas. So you say, you think, I think I better go home for Christmas. You should have said, well, be disappointed then in Jesus' name. <laughs> or, or the blackmailing mother. You do have blackmailing mothers. You have blackmailing fathers as well. But you can have blackmailing mothers saying, you know your, your father will have a heart attack if you're the only member of the family who's not home for Christmas and we didn't want you to go to the UK anyway. So you say to your mother, if dad was going to have a heart attack, he'd have it by now living with you. <laughs> That's dreadful, isn't it? It's probably true. But listen, listen. Often, our whole way of speaking, looking at things, bringing up kids when many of you have that privilege, often is driven by what will the neighbors think? I'll tell you this incredible story. My father in law is dead and gone. My wife's younger brother, he went out to this girl. He was, uh, he was uh, engaged to this lovely girl. She was a Baptist, Welsh Baptist minister's daughter. Big deal. And then my brother-in-law decided she's not the girl, and so he breaks the engagement. So his father writes him a letter, but he doesn't say, listen, I'm really sad for you, and I'm sad for her, and, and uh, I hope you'll be all right. He writes his letter and says, what will the neighbors think? It's got nothing to do with the wretched neighbors. But he's, he's driven by. What will the neighbors say about my son? It reflects on me and your mother. Listen. Jesus saying to this guy, hey, get up, put, put your bed under your... Well, listen, Jesus, I'm really anxious about public opinion. 
You laugh about it. I've seen men and women screwed up because they're anxious about public opinion. It's one of the great curses of British society. You surely know that, don't you? But it's one of the great curses of any society. What do they think about us? Wearing that? You can't wear that? For goodness sake, I've brought you up to look middle class. <laughs> it's amazing how the middle classes can look middle class, but they can be terrible sinners. It's true, isn't it? Yes or no? I'm going to ask you this question. Whose opinion, about whose opinion are you anxious? It's a terrible mat and you need to roll it up under your arm and go for it. Finally, mat of weakness. Can't do it, I'm weak. Listen, God knows that. He came to make the weak strong. Dear Lord, Listen, what has God been saying to you? I asked Davi that when I met him tonight. What did God say to you this morning? What has God been saying to you? What are you going to do about it? What, what area of your life now has God just lovingly, beautifully, tenderly, just fingered? You say, oh, that's, don't touch me. Oh, that's, that's sore. Oh, that's a sore finger. Oh, my spiritual hip is sore listen just let him heal you just let him change you just let him help you to stand up and put the mat on your arm and think Ben Davis is quite right it's totally changed my life looking at the word has totally changed me I, I came in you know outwardly but I'm going home inwardly this is absolutely fantastic. I don't even need to say it. I don't even need to sing it because it's zipping along within me. Listen, God can do it for you. And don't forget that some of you just may be into sin. And the wages of sin is death. And God wants to radicalize your obedience to the spirit of truth. And the truth will set you free. I passionately love you. I passionately love the youthfulness about most of you. I passionately love the older people that I'm talking about. You've got the world at your feet. I passionately love you. I passionately want you to know what it is to do the will of God and enjoy it and fulfill the purpose for which God birthed you. Passionately want you to have it. You, you girls in the front row, you, you three girls and a bloke in the front row. I was looking at your hat then. Didn't know quite who, who, didn't know quite who was underneath it. But now you're smiling. I know men don't smile like that. Dear me, the Lord bless you and keep you and cause you to enjoy him forever and ever and ever. Say it back to me. Amen. Thank you. Try it again. 
I want you to enjoy him forever and ever and ever. Amen. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Let me say it again to you. I give you an opportunity. Listen carefully. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen.